You're looking out. Um, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, verses 21 through, through 23. All right, as always, this is... God's good and holy word, it stands over us. Um, It's for our good. It's for our benefit. Uh, Therefore, let us give our attention to it. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let me pray for us and pray for our time this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, as always, um, we need you to be our teacher. Um, As always, we need your spirit to even um, hear what you have to say to us. Um, We need your spirit to soften our hard hearts, uh, to enlighten our dull minds to unstop our deaf ears, um, that we might hear from you. And Father, our prayer this morning is that you, uh, that you would be our teacher, uh, that we, your people, we don't need to hear from a man, but we need to hear from you. Um, We ask that even uh, in a passage um, as challenging as this one, will we see Jesus? Will we be reminded of the good news, of the gospel of grace, that Jesus himself saves sinners, of which we all are? Um, we ask, Lord, that you would glorify yourself even through uh, the foolishness of preaching that, Jesus, you would show yourself to be more beautiful, uh, more trustworthy, more faithful, more kind to us as your people. That, Jesus, again, we would see that you are the good shepherd, our only hope. Um, And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I I had a friend growing up. Um, named Todd Moore, and one of the things about Todd was that whenever we saw him coming from a distance, uh, most of us would start running or just quickly try to get out of his sight, and part of the reason for that be- is because uh, Todd and this group of friends that I grew up with, we were all um, huge wrestling fans, so I grew up in the era of Hulk Hogan and um, Macho Man Randy Savage. You could say Hulk Hogan practically raised me. Um, <laughs> I grew up with, you know, just looking at 
wrestlers as some of the greatest athletes, um, and of course being crushed when I found out it wasn't real. Um, <laughs> and this this friend, Taj, um, the reason why he scared us is because whenever he came around, we knew that it was going to be the, the case that he was going to probably do one of these wrestling moves on us. So instead of greeting you like a normal person, like giving you a handshake, giving you a hug, saying what's up, Taj would greet you with a drop kick um, or a clothesline that he saw on WWF the other night or um, this new wrestling move. And the thing about these wrestling moves, even though wrestling is fake, yes, if you do these moves in real life, they hurt. So <laughs> don't, don't, just, like, don't just write it off completely. But, um, but Taj would always do these moves, and Taj would always perform these moves. And so when we saw him coming, it would make us uncomfortable because we knew, okay, whose day is it going to be to get clotheslined, or who is it he's going to powerbomb on the concrete, or who is it that he's going to inflict pain on. And the, he had no reason or explanation for why he did this. He just thought it was a great way to greet people. And so, um, so it was scary. Like, every time he came around, we just kind of was like, oh, he's, he's probably about to hurt me. Um, and we would run. And so, but you might be asking, why in the world is he starting that way? And one of the things I think of when I think of my friend Taj um, and how uncomfortable he made us feel when he came around, um, is I think that that's oftentimes a picture of what Jesus does to us. Um, that, that, that there are sometimes when you are reading your Bibles, minding your business, and Jesus says crazy stuff like this. Like, I never knew you. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That there are times where you read your Bible and Jesus unsettles you. That Jesus makes you uncomfortable. Jesus troubles you. And I guarantee you that if you ask anybody in this room what were their favorite Bible verses, these verses would not come up. These are not the verses you go to to lay your head on the pillow at night and find comfort in. But, y'all, this is, this is God's word. That Jesus is teaching us, the kind and gracious Savior, Jesus is teaching us. And he's given us these words that you and I might take heart. You might be familiar with um, C.S. Lewis's words in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where um, the children are asking Mr. Beaver about what's Aslan like. And one of the questions they ask is, is he safe? Of course, Aslan is the God figure in these, in these stories. And the children want to know, is he safe? We're about to meet him. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver's response is this. Safe? Safe? Who said anything about safe? But he's good. And I think that is, a, that is an apt picture of what Jesus is doing to us here in these verses. 
that Jesus is showing us that he is good to warn us of what's to come, that he is good to stir us out of these ideas of righteousness, out of these ideas of where our hope lies, and often to draw us to himself. And as we look at this passage, Jesus talks about entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And he says this, that entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not through right theology, and it's not through works, but it's through him. So if you want three-point sermon, there it is. Not through right theology, not through works, but through him. How does this passage speak to us about entrance into the kingdom of heaven being not through right theology? That if you know Matthew's gospel, um, that in Matthew 5, Jesus begins to teach about what it means to be a disciple. In chapters 5 through 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's this long period of teaching and discourse that Jesus had with his disciples. And, you know, he's talked about, you know, he's talked about the Beatitudes. He's talked about what it means to pray as a disciple. And you're working through this passage. He's talking through fruit. He's talking about false teachers. And you're working through Jesus' sermon. And then you get to this section. that In verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to be, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, in the context that Jesus speaks these words, you have to understand that when Jesus says, Lord, Lord, that it's, it has far more significance than it does in our 21st century um, southern culture that um, a lot of times we use the word Lord, we use it in vain, we um, don't speak of it as reverently as the people of Jesus' day would have spoken using that word, and especially to a culture that was ruled by Roman authority, that when Jesus says that these people are saying about him that he is Lord, that what he's communicating is that, yes, they do understand some things about me, You do get who I am. You do rightfully understand that I am Lord. But in the context of Roman culture, that you were taught only one person was Lord, and that was Caesar. And if anyone dare said anybody else other than Caesar was Lord, then that was a crime punishable by death. That How dare you call this man from Jerusalem, a Jew, Lord? And Jesus' point is this, that there will be many who at the last day, they really get who he is, that he is Lord, that they rightfully so understand that he is God, that he is higher than Caesar, that he deserves our allegiance. And it's showing you that, theologically speaking, they understand who Jesus is. This is crucially important for us as Presbyterians. Why? Because we are a denomination, especially the PCA, that prides ourselves 
on having right and good theology. So we pride ourselves on being reformed. Or we pride ourselves on subscribing to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Or we pride ourselves on not being Arminian like those other people. Or whatever it is. Whatever it is you think that makes you a good Presbyterian. And what Jesus is saying to you and to me is this. That that is not the thing that saves you. That yes, you can have your theology tight and right and good and you can prove it from scripture and you can argue people down. Jesus is saying, listen, there will be many people on the last day who can do that. There will be many people who will say, Lord, Lord. There will be many people who understand rightfully who I am, whose theology is good. And he says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that what you believe about God doesn't matter. I'm not saying that it doesn't have importance. I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't communicate what God is like. But I'm saying those truths in and of themselves, divorced from Jesus, do not save you. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a 20th century Baptist preacher, talks about orthodoxy and talks about right theology And he talks about his relationship to saving faith. And he says this, that orthodoxy is absolutely vital and essential. Unless we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Son of God, unless we recognize him as the eternal Son, substance of the eternal substance, made flesh and dwelling amongst us, unless we believe the New Testament doctrine that he was sent by God to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that because of that, he has been exalted and is Lord of all, to whom every knee shall eventually bow, we are not Christian at all. We must believe that. To be a Christian is a matter of believing certain truths concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, believing on him. There's no such thing as Christianity apart from that. To be a Christian means that we rest our entire case, our whole salvation, our whole eternal destiny entirely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why a true Christian says, Lord, Lord. That is the content of the statement. It does not just mean that saying the right words, it indicates that we mean those things when we say them. That when we say, Lord, Lord, do we mean those things when we say them? And What Jesus wants us to at least ask the question of is what role does right theology play in my understanding of God's grace and mercy to me? And if it is the ultimate thing, if it comes before Jesus, then he would have you repent of that and rest in him. The right theology will not gain you access into the kingdom of heaven. There will be many on the last day who say that. Lord, Lord. 
And secondly, works are not the means by which we gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And you see this in verses 22, or verse 22, that Jesus says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, says Jesus. That if this verse, these verses were not already bad enough, this verse makes it worse. That I want y'all to think about what Jesus is saying. That here it is the case that many great things are being done and they are done in his name. That that is so troubling. That Jesus is saying there are people who are prophesying in his name. They are casting out demons in his name. And Jesus is saying, I don't know you. I do not know you. That is troublesome because of this. That why in the world does God allow people to do things in his name who are not in relationship to him? That that is troubling. That it means this. That those works are not what ultimately saves anybody. That what it means for me as a minister of the gospel is that my preaching of the gospel does not mean I'm saved. That it means that anything I do in Christ's name doesn't guarantee that I'm saved. That your works are not what gets you into the entrance of the kingdom of heaven. That what God is saying is that for every good thing you do, and the things you do in your honor to Christ, and your striving to honor Christ with your lives, then all those things must come under a living relationship with God. And I know this seems far-fetched. We're Presbyterian. We're not casting out demons. You're not, you're not seeing no casting demons in no Presbyterian service. Um, if you're not, you're not in a Presbyterian church, if you are seeing that. Um, but but what, what, what would Jesus be saying to us, to the Presbyterian church, or to whatever Christian church or background you're from, that... That, that there will be people who say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not baptize our children in your name? Did we not attend worship week in and week out in your name? Did we not serve the youth of our church in your name? Did we not pray? Did we not preach the gospel? Did we not do RUF? Was I not a campus minister in your name? And what Jesus is saying, that there will be some who at the last day, he says, frankly, I never knew you. Depart from me. And these, these are hard words. That what God wants you and me to do is not go, okay, that's for somebody else over there. But 
to go, is Jesus calling me to himself? Does Jesus want me to see the ways that I'm resting in my faithfulness to him or my Bible reading, quiet time, or my prayer life, or my ministry to the church rather than him? And he is calling us out of that. I had a friend who was, he's now church planning, but we were in seminary together and in the middle of our preaching class, um, God works through someone's sermon and this student is hearing over and over the gospel preached and he realizes, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't really believe what, what these men are preaching about. And he realizes in seminary that he's not really a Christian. Now, if, you, if you'd asked me if there's anybody um, who I'm certain of is a Christian our first year in seminary, it would have been that guy that outwardly he looked really good. Outwardly, he preached the gospel. He served faithfully. And here it is. He stood up before the class and we prayed for him and prayed over him for him to receive Christ. And his reasons were this, that as he remembers hearing the gospel, even serving in youth ministry, but his reasons for not coming to faith was this. He didn't want to be the youth minister who gets converted at a conference, and so he was just too prideful. And years down the line, God works and saves him and brings him and draws him to himself. And it goes to show that that we can be resting in a lot of different things other than Jesus for our salvation. That if you think about even some of our heroes, like Martin Luther and Abraham Kuyper, these were men who people saw while they were in ministry and were rightly, right, I mean, rightfully seeing and understanding where these men were, but really called them out and said, I don't think you're a Christian. The Abraham Kuyper, in one of his sermons, after his sermon is over, there's a lady waiting for him at the back of the church and confronts him and says, I don't think you're a Christian. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, after preaching, somebody's just waiting for you. Yeah, I don't think you're a Christian. And she was right. That Jesus, in these words, y'all, are trying to get us to look at our hearts to see the many ways that we might be resting in things that are not him. That the ways that we rest in good things but divorce those things from God himself. Which is where our last point takes us. That Jesus is showing that entrance into the kingdom of heaven is through him and reminding us over and over again the entrance is through him. And you see this in 22 where it says, not everyone, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And I think those words where Jesus says, the one who does the will of his Father in heaven, in a lot of ways, 
resembles what he says to his disciples in John 6. And in John chapter 6, he's talking to his disciples about what it means to follow him and how hard it will be to follow him. And his disciples ask him the question. And in 6.28 of John, they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, what they're asking is, what does God want us to do? Tell me. And Jesus answered to them in 29 is this. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That this is the work of God that you and I believe in Jesus, the one that God has sent. And it's a reminder again to us that all our life and hope and joy and peace comes first and only through a relationship with Christ. That you and I have to be reminded that our theology doesn't save us, our works don't save us, but Jesus saves us. And I want you to understand that. That there will be people in heaven who are not reformed. Please understand that. <laughs> there will be people in heaven who don't agree with you theologically. There will be people in heaven who do not do the same things you do for quiet time. But what God is communicating is they are saved just like you are through Christ alone. And so when you sing that, that hymn here in Christ alone that what it's reminding you of again and again that that is the only thing that saves you that that is where your hope is found that Jesus himself and that is good news that God is saying to us that he is a God for people who don't have him figured out perfectly he is a God for people whose theology is not tight. And your theology is not tight either because if it were, were you would live perfectly. If, that if, if understanding and growing in relationship with God was a matter of just knowing things about God, then you, would li you should live perfectly. And it should humble us that we don't live up to our theology. And what God is communicating to us again is you and I need Jesus, and you and I are saved by Jesus alone. But it's a reminder that all your labors and efforts for the gospel, all of your outreach, all of your praying with your kids and reading the Bible with your kids and loving your kids and loving your family and loving the church, it's not enough to save you. But Jesus himself saves you. And we need him to. And it's out of that union and relationship with Christ that God causes us to grow. That God causes us to want to understand him better. That God causes us to want to serve him and honor him with our lives. And that's good news. That Jesus saves us. That Jesus loves us that he came for sinners. And it is greater news 
that he would say this to us in such hard words as this passage. But again, it is for our good. That if you served a God who only told you the good things about yourself, who just wrote off your sin and said, oh, it's okay, don't believe, don't worry about that. And then at the last day, turned you away. That would be heartbreaking. But here it is, Jesus in his word says, look at your heart. Have you trusted in me? Look at your works. Are you resting in your works and not me? And it's for the hope that we might long for Jesus and long for his rule and authority over our lives. But that we would, again, treasure him up in our heart and know that he is sufficient for all that we need. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are patient with us. Thank you that you said uh, such hard words to your disciples and to us. Um, Thank you that you love us enough to tell us the hard things. Um, Thank you for showing us um, our blind spots and in many ways uh, we move from the gospel and in many ways we move from our hope only being in Christ. We ask your grace again, Lord, um, to accept your word. Um, We ask that you would help us, Jesus, to love you more and cling to you more rather than our accomplishments, rather than our theology, rather than all that we're doing for you. Jesus, help us. We ask, Lord, that you would bless our church, um, that you would make us a people who love Jesus more. Um, And out of our love for Jesus, we love uh, where you have us, and we love uh, the people you put in our midst and around us. Um, We thank you, Lord, that you continue uh, to shape us and change us. We pray for more of your grace, more of your mercy, uh, to see the many ways that you are convicting us of our sin and our pride. Uh, Please continue to work. Uh, Please continue to shape and make us more like yourself, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.